Can I share a little testimony here about uh, some of the things the Lord is doing? Um, that I, I, before I get into the message, I, I just kind of want to share. Uh, the Lord has given me, first of all, I just need to say, and, and this, this, this comes right out of my gut because it's so real to me right now, what it is to be in Christ. I'm going to be talking about that later on. But the Lord has just been uh, such a precious uh, reality to me the last several weeks. I have just... I, there's a tremendous freedom that comes from being in Christ, if you know what that means. That's what we're going to talk about. But I have just felt in my spirit a real release of, uh, if I'm in Christ, you know what? Not a whole lot else makes much difference. You know what? It's just, it's a tremendously freeing thing because we can get so caught up in things. Don't we get caught up in things sometimes? Too many things. It can be family things. It can be church things. It can be job things. But if you know who you are in Christ, it's just is a, is a, a freeing, freeing thing. And the Lord has just been that. Another thing that I just want to testify about is, is uh, just how I see God forming the body of Christ here. We talked all last month about what the body of Christ is and, and the gifting, the membering kind of stuff. That the church is to function like an organism, more than an organization. And that God... Uh, uh, you know, God gives people gifts to see needs and to meet needs, and that happens in a natural, spontaneous way inside the church and in the neighborhood and whatever. And I see that happening more. Last week, I just got this word that there's a guy who came to the church, I guess it was a 9 o'clock service, and for whatever reasons, a scheduling screw up or something, um, there weren't any greeters out there. And we're supposed to have greeters out there. And he noticed that. And he kind of thought, gee, where are the greeters? And then he remembered. <laughs> uh, when you see a need, meet it. Probably if you see the need, you have the gift to meet it, and so do something about it. So as he was thinking this thought, he walked partly into the auditorium. He turned around and walked back out, and he started greeting people as they came in. <laughs> He's got a gift for greeting. Little thing, but you know, when a lot of people do a lot of little things, you end up having some, some, some big things happening. We've had 10 people tell Mary in the last week that they want to be a part of the nursery program. Praise God. They saw a need, a big need, and they responded to it. That's kingdom stuff. And Barry Joss has had three people uh, come forward and say they want to help out in, in youth ministry. And we can use more. But that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. God's also been doing body stuff in terms of giving gifts to people, uh, the pneumaticoi, the spiritual gifts, the word of knowledge, word of wisdom kind of stuff. And that's exciting stuff too. One example of it is that last week, you may have recall if you were here last week, at the end of the service, I got a real burden for somebody in the service uh, who, who needed to accept the Lord. Some of you were here to remember that. And at the end, I just kind of belabored this altar call. I just really felt strongly there was somebody there. I knew there was somebody here who needed to accept the Lord. And I walked off, and Carol Raleigh was standing right there and, and at the end of the service. And I said, Carol, stay up here till somebody comes forward and gives their heart to the Lord. I know that someone here needs to be saved. I turned around to walk out, and, and I kind of brushed shoulders with somebody and said, excuse me. That guy came to Carol and said, I need to give my heart to the Lord. <laughs> you believe that? That's, the, that's spirit coordination stuff. The Lord. That's when, when the head is operating as the head. He coordinates. He orchestrates. And then this church takes on this supernatural dimension where God begins to do things that we couldn't do. And I just praise God for it. I guess I'd, I'd encourage you to be knowing that you're part of the body of Christ. Maybe you're not plugged into this local church. Maybe, not, maybe you're thinking about being plugged into this local church. That's between you and God. But wherever you are, wherever you're plugged into, I would, I would encourage you to be open to the Spirit, to see needs, to meet needs when you see the needs. 
Most needs that you see aren't there to be met in, 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 in a day or five days or even in an hour. Meet the need when you see the need. Be responsive to the Spirit. Plug into the body of Christ. There is no superfluous member to the body of Christ. Amen. Well, we're continuing our lightning speed study of the book of Ephesians. Praise the Lord. We're up to verse 3. For next week, we're going to be going on to verses 4 and 5 and 6. Um, talking about this, uh, the foundation of the church, which was set from the foundation of the world. And talking about this, uh, what is this foreknowledge, predestination stuff get into? It, it's, uh, it should be interesting. This morning, I want to talk about the last of the phrases in verse 3. Let, let's uh, read or recite. Some of you are committing to memory this stuff, uh, the book of Ephesians. But uh, read Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. We talked about that last week. With every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You know what? I want to read another verse. Um, John chapter 15. Verses 2 and 3. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. You don't have to do anything if you don't want to. This is a free church. Verse 3. You are already clean, the Lord says, because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in me, in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I want to talk about what does this mean to be in Christ Jesus. Father, make your word come alive. You've got to do it. I can't do it. Words can't do it. Wisdom can't do it. You've got to do it, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that this would be a message that would be in spirit and power and not in human wisdom. Uh, Lord God, take the, the feeble words and give life to them as you ride them into our ears and begin to confront lies that we might know who we are in Christ Jesus. And Lord God, create the experience of that that we could begin to feel the joy, the joy that comes from simply knowing who you are, who you are, and who we are. Let it be here this morning, I pray in your name. Amen. This is the final of three messages in the beginning of the book of Ephesians that really are about our identity, our identity. Our identity is the way we answer the question, who are we, what are we, what resources do we draw on? How do we feel about ourselves? All these are factors of our identity, what our self-identity is. Usually, as we said last week, the way we define ourselves, the way we conclude who we are and what we're worth and what we're capable of and what we're not capable of is by looking to ourself. We examine ourself. We look at our, uh, our physical world, our physical environment, and we make conclusions about who we are and what we're capable of and whatnot. This is what the Bible calls thinking naturally or thinking in terms of the flesh. It's not wrong, but it's simply not the complete picture. 
Usually we decide who we are, what we are, by looking at our past, by hearing messages that we've inherited, being raised, by hearing the message of our culture, by, hearing, uh, by looking at the situation of our family, what have you. We think that's, that's who we are. And if that's all the farther we get, what I want to say this morning is this, if that's all the farther we get, if that's how we define ourselves, we will never but never enter into the full depth of the joy, power, peace, glory that God has purchased for us on the cross of Calvary. We'll always be having the same struggles, always be having the same fights, always be having the same worries, the same doubts, and same what have you. Paul says in, in Galatians chapter 5 that when you sow in the flesh, you reap in the flesh. The way you define who you are, the way you define what is real, the way you define what you're worth determines what comes out of you. That determines what kind of behavior you produce, what kind of attitudes you have, what kind of resources you bring to bear to confront the problems in life that we all have. And we spend a lot of time talking on sermons about behavior and trying to create behavior and to give and to give how-to skills on getting out of depression and how-to skills on how to do this, that, or the other thing. And that's not bad stuff to do. I'm not saying that. But sometimes we've got to go to the root of the issue. And the root of the issue is our identity, how we see ourselves. Who are we? What resources do we call on? That's the core issue that we're talking about in the beginning of Ephesians. We've been answering it by saying that we are saints. We're called holy ones because God makes us holy. We answered it last week by, saying, by showing where we sit. We sit in heavenly places. And this morning, I want to get to the most central thing that can be said about our identity, and that is that we are in Christ Jesus. And to answer, to say that we are in Christ Jesus is the antithesis, the opposite of arriving at a conclusion about yourself on the basis of what you look, on the basis of the physical evidence, or on the basis of your memories or what have you. If I ask the question, how holy are you? How holy are you? The natural mind, what Paul calls the natural mind, our ordinary way of thinking makes us look at ourselves and we say, well, I'm, I'm kind of holy, you know, well, I'm kind of not holy too, but, but I'm better than some and I'm not as bad as others. You know, it's kind of a 50-50 thing. Or maybe we think that we're very holy. We're better than 99% of all the other people in the earth. The earth and we're... But we look to ourselves. How close to God are you? How, how, are, are you close to God? Well, we tend to examine our feelings. Well, see, I, mm, I don't really feel very close this morning. You know, I must not be, I don't feel very close to God. Last week I was pretty close to God. I did a lot of good deeds. This week's kind of been a you know, bad week. Uh, we answer by looking at ourselves. How much joy are you capable of? How much peace are you capable of in life? Um, how, how much uh, uh, power do you have to overcome depression? And how much power do you have to overcome sin? And how much power do you have to overcome addiction? And how much power do you have to be patient with your, your kids or to love your unlovable husband or to put up with your terrible financial situation or what have you? The ordinary way that most people operate and even most Christians operate is by looking to ourselves, and we say, well, we're kind of good at this, we're not so good at this, we have a genetic disposition towards this, and we have an environmental predisposition towards that, or, or whatever, but we look to ourselves. What I want to drive home this morning in as forceful a way as I can possibly drive it home is, is this. From a biblical point of view, from the view of the Word of God, nothing could be more irrelevant to answering the question of who you are than looking at your physical self. Nothing could be more relevant 
irrelevant to establishing the question of how holy you are, how worthwhile you are, how loved you are, how righteous you are, how close to God you are, then by examining the evidence, the physical evidence, the emotional evidence, the psychological evidence of your own brain and your own heart and the circumstances of your family. Nothing could be more irrelevant to, asking the, to answering the question of how much joy can you have in life by looking at how, how much Prozac you have or, or, or what have you. That's not bad stuff. But what I'm saying is that from a Christian perspective, there's more. There's more. Don't let the physical world, the chemical world, the world of your family, what you can see, everything around you, be the final word about what you're capable of and who you are. From a biblical perspective, the ultimate answer, the ultimate answer for who you ultimately are and what you're ultimately capable of is this. You are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus. Now, what does that mean to say we are in Christ Jesus? I know what it's like to be in a hot building. So do you. I know what it's like to be in the state of Minnesota. I know what it's like to be in the United States. I know what it's like to be in trouble. I spent most of my life being in that place. I know what it's like to be in my skin. But what does it mean to say that we're in Christ Jesus? What I'm going to say is that it means exactly what it says. We are in Christ Jesus. Now, here's a picture that might help you. It might not help you, but it might help you. And you've got to go with what you got. It's the best I could come up with. I've used a lot of bizarre analogies from the pulpit. This one takes the cake. This is my son's Captain Hook. Oh, you Captain. <laughs> I play with these more than he does. This is his hook. <laughs> hey, hey. Showers and blessings. Um, this is a wet Captain Hook. Let's pretend like you're Captain Hook and I'm God. The question I want to ask is, what happens when you get saved? What happens when you get saved? Captain Hook comes and says, I want to be saved. I... Give me a blessing. And in the minds of a lot of people, God says, Oh, Captain Hook, so you're going to quit murdering these other pirates and stuff? Yeah, I want to reform my ways. I'll be good the rest of my life. So he says, Okay, I'll be cheering for you. I'll be watching you. You know, I'm the eye in the sky looking at you. I can read your mind. And, uh, and so he's going to be watching you. That's not what salvation is. Though a lot of people think that that's what salvation is. Other people think that that uh, what salvation is, is that, you know, you're the Captain Hook and you come to God and, and you say, I'm sorry, I believe in Jesus Christ. So then the Father says, okay, I forgive you and you're wiped clean and, and when you have sin, just confess it to me and I'll forgive it. And that's, that is what salvation is. But that's not all of what salvation is. That's the beginning of what salvation is. Salvation is a package deal and that's the start of it, but that's not the end of it. To find out what the full salvation is, I have to go to my second brilliant illustration. This is a glass of water. This water, let us say, this water is, is Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, this is an illustration. I'm not calling the glass Jesus Christ. But, but it, it illustrates Jesus Christ. And, and the water in the glass, the water in the glass, I don't know what, do you see what you hear the, the other night when that, or the, a couple services ago when that balloon all of a sudden came down? In the middle of service. Where do we get off of this stuff? Um, it's a sign from God or something or other, but I can't figure it out right now. The water, the glass is full of water. And let this be, think about it this way. The water is everything that Jesus Christ is full of. Jesus Christ is eternally the object of God's love. John 17, 24 tells us that the Father loved Jesus Christ before the world began. In fact, the love of the Father for the Son and the love of the Son for the Father 
is what defines eternally God's being as God. God is eternally love. And Jesus Christ is full of God's love. And Jesus Christ is the power of God. And Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us, Jesus Christ is, is full of God's blessing. In fact, Colossians 2.9 tells us that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ in bodily form. This is what Jesus Christ is full of. Now, when you believe in the Lord, when you believe in the Lord, the Lord doesn't just say, go your own way and sin no more, and I'm watching you, and you better watch it because I'll, I'll send you to hell as quick as I was going to send you to heaven. That's the gospel I got. I can change my mind pretty quick too. He doesn't do that. In fact, he doesn't just bring us kind of close to the glass, to Jesus. That'd be nice. We draw near to God. He doesn't just even sprinkle us with water. Here, have a little bit of blessing. Here, I'll throw you a crumb of blessing. Here, a little bit of Jesus here. You know, a little warm fuzzies now and then. But that'd be nice if he did that. That'd be gracious. We don't deserve that. We're over here in a pit of sin, sinking fast, going to hell. But what happens to us, the Bible says, when we believe is that he picks us out of the miry clay. He picks us out of that realm which is the object of God's wrath, and he places us in Jesus Christ. He puts us literally in Jesus Christ. That's the central thing he does. You know, Paul uses this phrase, in Jesus Christ, six times in the first chapter of Ephesians alone, 14 times in the book of Ephesians, and over 80 times in all of his epistles. It's a central thing. We are, and I don't know the mechanics of it. I don't, I don't understand how God did it. I don't you know, know that stuff. We'll ask him when we get there. But what now, right now what we've got to know is this one truth, that when we believe, he plunges us into, into Jesus Christ. And the, in the same way that I can't look at Captain Hook, I can't, if you're going to look at Captain Hook, you've got to look through the glass. And if you're going to look at the glass, you've got to look at Captain Hook. You now can't separate you're looking at the glass from you looking at, at Captain Hook. Because Captain Hook is in the glass. You never thought sermons would be this profound, did you? <laughs> but in just the same way, in just the same way, to be incorporated into Christ Jesus means that we are placed in the object of God's eternal love. And we're placed in the object of God's eternal joy. We're placed in the one that God eternally delights, that delights in. We're placed in the one who is the, the, the fullness of God, the one who is the fullness of God's peace, and the one who is the, God, the fullness of God's power. And that's what defines us. That's the most central thing that is true about us. That's the environment, the true environment that we breathe. That's the, the air, the spiritual air that, 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 that we suck in. We are immersed into Christ Jesus. So Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that when we believed, we were baptized into Christ. The word baptized means, baptizo means to submerge, to immerse in. We weren't sprinkled with Christ. He didn't just kind of relate to us in a long distance phone call. God is a radical God. And when he decides to do something, he plunges you into it all the way. And so the Bible says that we've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God's got no issue with his son and we are in the son. The Bible says that we are loved in the beloved. Ephesians 1.6 Colossians 1.13, we are loved in the beloved. How loved are you? Well, you're in Christ, and Christ is the object of God's eternal, passionate, unwavering, God-defining love, and you are in Christ in the same way that I see Captain Hook with the, same, with the very same vision. It doesn't take two glances to see Captain Hook. The one that sees the glass is the one that sees Captain Hook. So also, God, in loving his son, loves you with the very same love, the very same intensity, and the very same passion that he has towards his own son. 
Are you with me here? Are you following this? Are you getting this? That's what defines us. We're made perfect, Colossians tells us, perfect in the Son. Why? Because the Son is perfect, and we are in the Son. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we are in a totally different spiritual environment. We are wrapped up in Him, clothed with Him, enveloped in Him. If Christ is the holiness and the love and the power and the wisdom and the joy and the delight of God, you, by being in Jesus Christ, you're not Jesus Christ, you'll never be Jesus Christ, but you're in Jesus Christ. You are in, baptized into, submerged into the love and the holiness and the righteousness of God as a gift. And there's only one thing you can do, and that is to receive it. To receive it. So when you ask the question, how holy are you? The last thing, if you know who you are, the last thing you do there is to take an inventory, a holiness barometer test. If you know who you are in Christ, the question becomes, how holy is Christ? Christ is holy. Christ is perfect. Christ is blameless. And we are in Christ. Praise God. Do you think when Paul said that God's going to present himself to himself a church that's without spot or wrinkle, that that meant that you and your own experience and your own behavior would be spotless and wrinkleless? No way! It's not going to happen, folks. Churches are always going to have wrinkles and people are always going to have spots. But when you're in the spotless one, when you're in the blameless one, you become blameless and spotless. And that's why God can relate to us with his own righteousness and he's perfectly compatible with us because we're in Jesus Christ. And the question of how close are you to God, if we understand who we are in Christ, if this is part of the mental framework that we operate with, becomes, this question becomes, how close to God is Christ? It's pretty close, wouldn't you say? Can't get much closer than that. And you may not, maybe don't feel very holy right now, and you don't feel very close to God right now. And it may be that, 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 that in your behavior, there's a lot there that isn't close to God. And maybe in your behavior, there's a lot there that God doesn't approve of. But what I want you to see is that you, in terms of your central identity, you are in the holiness of God. And you, in terms of your central identity, right now, this morning, if you're a believer, you could not be closer to God than you are. Not in terms of your position in Christ. Maybe in terms of your behavior, you could be a whole lot closer. But in terms of your central identity, you couldn't be closer. In fact, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ has washed you of all your sins, in terms of who you essentially are, you couldn't be more holy than you are. And you can spend the rest of your life doing good deeds, doing, being a Mother Teresa, and you're not going to improve upon the holiness that you have right this very second simply because you believe in the Lord. And God, by His almighty power, decides that whoever's going to believe in the Lord, He's going to plunge into the Holy One and make them holy. Praise the Lord. That's why the Bible calls it good news. It's good news. It couldn't be better. Someone suggests to me a way that this news could be made any better than it is. God, you, can, you, you can't think of anyone, you can't think of something that God could do for us that he hasn't already done by putting us in Christ Jesus. How much closer are you going to get? How much more spotless? How much more grace do you want? You can't improve upon it. If Ed McMahon were to come to my door tomorrow and give me a $10 million check, which isn't very likely, I suppose, but especially because I didn't even send it back. But, but if you were, that would be good news. <laughs> but it wouldn't hold a candle to this good news. 
This is the best news. This is as good as it gets. And it doesn't just change how God views us. It really does change us. And the reason it changes us is because it envelops us with a totally new environment. We're in Christ Jesus. It's not only how God sees us, but what, how God moves through us. Think of it this way. How much, let's ask the question again, how much, how much joy are you capable of in this life? The natural self tends to look around and says, well, my situation isn't very happy. I got dealt a raw deck. How can I be happy? I've always been miserable. I'm still miserable, and I always will be miserable. It's just the way I am. You can answer the question that way. If you want to give those things the power to define you, go ahead and do that. You have a right to do that. How much joy are you capable of? Judging from this world, not a whole lot, right? Life is kind of a miserable affair. You're here for a couple of years and then you die. That's kind of the whole story. We've seen it a lot of times before. It's what's going to happen to us. Not a lot of joy there. Oh, some happy moments, you know, here and there, but not a lot of joy. And judging from your limited abilities and judging from your screwed up family situation and judging from your troubled marriage and judging from the past sin in your life and judging from the chemical imbalance that you have, judging from all those things, you'd be inclined to say, there's not a whole lot of joy that I'm capable of. I'm just not going to be a happy person. But the question I want to ask you is this. Why let those things define who you are? Don't you know that you are in Christ Jesus? I'm not saying pretend like you don't have the problems and that life isn't sometimes the pits. It is for all of us. What I'm saying, though, is why let that totally define without remainder who you are and how happy you're going to be and what you're going to be about because God has placed you in Christ Jesus. And to be placed in Christ Jesus is to be in, enveloped with, wrapped with, surrounded with, immersed into the one who is the joy of God himself. So the Bible says that he can give us a joy that is unspeakable, beyond words. You can't think of it. There's no words you can give to it. Why? Because it isn't based on the world. It's not based on your family, not based on your health, not based on your circumstances. It's based on Jesus Christ. You have a reservoir, an infinite reservoir, to draw on when you confront the issues. How loved are you? How loved are you? And how, how much power do you have to confront sin in your life? How much power do you have to confront anxiety and depression and... and uh, to work through uh, the things of life. What kind of resources do you have? Judging from the world, not a whole lot. You're given your limited ability, and you've seen it a thousand times before. We've all seen it, haven't we now? Uh, you, you don't have a whole lot going for you in terms of problem-solving behavior, and this issue that you're dealing with now, you've dealt with 4,000 times before, and it's always one. Why not just give up now? Why fight it? Come on. Life's too short. Judging from your family situation and your genetic environment and your your genetic gene pool and your environment and your family situation and your bad marriage and the troubled kids and all that kind of stuff, why not just have a nervous breakdown now and get it over with? You ever feel like that? Why don't I just, I'm, I'm going to crack sooner or later, so I might as well do it now and then I can start my recovery sooner. You know? And, you know, sometimes it gets like that, but the question is this. You can't run from the problems. The problems are going to be there. And this isn't about denying the problems. And it's not about, it's not, about not thinking through concrete ways of, of, of resolving problems, but it's saying this. Why give to the world the authority to tell you what power you have or don't have? Who said that? Who said you need to be limited to your past experience? Who said you've got to be limited to your innate creativity? Who said you've got to be limited to your innate resources? Who said that, that, that your physical situation, your environment, 
has got the power and the authority to tell you who you are and how powerful you are and how whether you can or can't get out of depression know that you are in Christ Jesus the truest thing about you is that you're in Christ Jesus and to be in Christ Jesus not not just to be near to Christ Jesus but to be in Christ Jesus is to be in in the fullness of God's power and in the fullness of God's life in the fullness of God's love and in the fullness of God's joy a verse just came to me Colossians 2 and I, two verses just now I got three Colossians 2 9 and 10 for in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form all the fullness pleroma the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form verse 10 and you have been given fullness in Christ same word fullness in Christ who is above all power and authority what's he saying there we're not the fullness of God but we're in the fullness of God praise God he is the fullness we have been given the fullness we're in Christ Jesus the other one that, that I just thought of was this John I, I read it earlier no wonder I just thought of it John 15 Jesus said abide in me and I in you and you shall bear fruit Apart from me, you can do nothing. Cut the branch off the tree, it dies. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But abide in me and you shall bear much fruit. Sow in the flesh, you reap in this flesh. Try to do it on your own. If all that you do in life is trying to crank out problem-solving behavior on your own resources, what you get is human stuff. It never gets better than human stuff. What you sow, you, sh you should reap. The crucial thing that we need to learn to do is, number one, know who we are, where we are, in whom we are, what defines us most centrally. And number two, learn how to yield, learn how to yield to that reality. Living the Christian life isn't about doing it on your own. You can't do it on your own. It's about learning how to yield to what, the, what Jesus called a river of life within you. John 7, 39. Jesus said, I'm getting, really getting a lot of verses here. Jesus said, to the one who believes in me, out of their belly or out of their innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And he wasn't talking about this kind of river that I got right now. He's talking about the river of the life of God, the river of God's joy, the Holy Spirit within You've got a river there. The crucial thing is learning how to yield to a power that is greater than yourself. Learning how to yield to the one who is in you and the one in whom you are. And not drawing on our own small, dried-up wells, but learning to yield to the power of Christ. Here's what the enemy tries to do to us, and he does it very, very well. He thought this analogy was bizarre. It's going to get bizarrer. <laughs> bizarrer. Have you seen these virtual reality helmets they have out now? Has everyone seen these things? Um, uh, you put these helmets on and you put a suit on and you're in this like Nintendo world. Uh, and and uh, you can play like swords with somebody and they look like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And you see the world around you but you see it in a different way because now there's all sorts of uh, things going on and, and it's, you're in a three-dimensional world of fantasy. It's kind of scary because they're, they're using these to train army soldiers and they're even coming up with X-rated video versions of, of these kind of things, these virtual reality. It's as though you were in this reality. That's what the word virtual means. What the enemy tries to do is this. Here's Captain Hook. He's put into this jar of wet water. But now let's say he had a virtual reality helmet on him. Things are getting... Come on now. Don't, lo don't, don't lose me. Hang on. Five more minutes and we're out of here. I know it's hot, but come on. This is the good part. He's got a, the blue thing is the virtual reality helmet. You put him in here. 
He's surrounded by water. He's got all the water he could ever need. He's safe and secure in there. But if he's wearing a virtual reality helmet and a virtual reality wetsuit, um, I, I could program that he, what he experiences is hot sun. He's in the middle of the Sahara, and he's dying of thirst, and there's no water around for miles. And he'd really believe it, because that's what he's, he's experiencing. The enemy does just that thing with us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the enemy is the one who blinds our eyes, blinds our minds, darkens our minds, and gets us to call things that are true not true, and gets us to call things that are not true true. Screws us all up. That doesn't take us out of the jar, okay? But what it means is that we're in the jar, but we don't know it and we never benefit by it. I can't do it. I can't, uh, I can't have any kind of peace. I'm a nervous wreck. I'm destined for a psych ward. Virtual reality, you're in Christ Jesus, and he's not given to you a spirit of fear. What is true reality is that he's not given to you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. you got to know that. Take off the helmet. I can't love so-and-so. I can't, I can't love my kids. I just don't have it within me. Of course you don't have it within you. But why do you think that that reality is the only reality? You're in Christ Jesus, submerged in Christ Jesus. That's the ultimate thing that's real about you. Take off the helmet and see what's around you. God's far from me. He doesn't love me. I'm Ichabod. I, I, God's departed from me. I can't possibly be saved. Deception, deception, deception. Virtual reality all over the place. If you could just take it off, have the Holy Spirit take it off, you'll see that right now as we're sitting right here in this place, and I, I don't care what's going on on your inside, if you're a believer, you got God all over you. you got the love of God all over you right now. You've got the peace of God all around you right now. You've got the power of God all around you right now. You've got the Shekinah glory all around you right now. And if there's something that's keeping you from singing, it's not about God. It's about the enemy. I need to pray right now. Lord... In Jesus' name, free us. You have said, we shall know the truth, and the truth shall set us free. How much needless bondage we are under, Lord. How much needless pain we go through, Lord. How much needless struggle we go through, Lord, because we don't see and don't feel and experience the reality, the real reality that you are here, Lord. God, open up your eye, the eyes of, of your children here that we could see the spiritual glass in which we live and the water of, 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 of your blessing, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus that is here, Lord. Lord, help us to swim in that. Help us to drink that. Help us to be refurbished by that, Lord. And do warfare for us, God, to come against the enemy who tries to get us to think that circumstances have the final say. Oh, Holy Spirit, do your work right now. Cause the coin to drop in the slot that we could that we could begin to see this like we'd see an Ed man who comes to our door and gives us 10 million bucks, but much, much more so. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. When you're in virtual reality, you bear the fruit of virtual reality. Holy Spirit, take off our, Holy Spirit, take off our helmets. You know, the thing that's ministered to me a great deal in the last month or two is just saying to myself, in Christ, I'm full of God's peace. I'm going to work, driving home from work, whatever I'm doing. In Christ, I'm full of God's peace. In Christ, I'm full of the confidence of God. In Christ, I have a love that is infinite and unconditional. I don't have that in myself, but in Christ, I have it. You see, let me close with this. You see, 
the centrality, the importance of this teaching about being in Christ when we consider the foundational ordinance of the Christian faith, which is baptism. Every believer in the New Testament, when they believed, they were immediately immersed in water in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Here's why. The Lord knows that we forget this all the time. We've always been like that. His people have always been like that. So he always gives us an external sign to confirm and remind us of an internal reality. And the Old Testament was circumcision. He gave circumcision to the Israelites so that they'd remember that they're a separate people and they're not supposed to be like other, other nations. In the New Testament, he gives us baptism. Romans chapter 6 tells us that in baptism, when a person is baptized, they are buried with Christ. That's what going down into the water is all about. And when they come up, they participate in Christ's resurrection. It's a sign, a physical representation of our being buried, immersed into Jesus Christ. He says the same thing in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. That when we are baptized, we clothe ourselves. As the water surrounds you when you're baptized, so also, when you're baptized, so also Christ surrounds us. He's closer to us than we are our own skin. But we forget that. And what baptism serves as is, is this. It's a tombstone of my old self, and it's a birth certificate for my new self. And it's a permanent reminder that I am robed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when I forget that, I can look back at my baptism. That's why Paul constantly reminds believers of their baptism. Don't you know that you're buried with Christ? You rose with Christ? Here's why I'm saying all this. It's a, it's a beautiful representation of it. It's also a commandment of Scripture. And there's always a tremendous blessing in obeying the Lord, even in the, the ordinance of baptism. Baptism doesn't save you, but the New Testament assumes that if it's happened spiritually, it should happen physically. I would encourage those of you who have not been baptized, and I know there's different traditional teachings on it, but the immersion aspect of it is so crucial because that's what the whole meaning of it is all about, being immersed into Christ. I'd, I'd encourage you to consider this prayerfully. Think about this prayerfully. We'll be having a baptism on July 10th, and all church, uh, we're going to have a picnic, and we're going to be having a baptism at Lake Johanna. If you're interested in, in finding out more about baptism or just helping to think through this issue, this doesn't mean that, that you want to be baptized right now, but if you want to find out more about it, on June 25th, at the church office, we're going to have a class on baptism. Barry Jass will also be having a class for fifth graders and above, if you let him know that, that, that you want your kid to be baptized. Um, and, and we're going to cover this whole theme, a two, two, two and a half hour teaching on baptism. You can sign up for that at the greeters table right outside the door. If you want to, if you want to attend that, we'd like to know about it. So sign up about that. And on July 10th, we'll be having this baptism. We're immersed into Christ Jesus, surrounded by his love, his power, his righteousness, and his grace. Praise God. Let's stand and close in prayer. Lord, what, 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 uh, what could you do for us that you haven't already done? It couldn't, uh, you couldn't have done more. You couldn't get better. It couldn't get more beautiful. God, just let that sink into us. Tomorrow morning when we wake up, God, make it our first thought. I'm in Christ Jesus. When we go to bed, Lord, make it our thought. We're in Christ Jesus. And when we confront the issues of our day, 
Help us to remember that we're in Christ Jesus. That is who we are. Amen. Amen. Go forth in the power and the love of Christ Jesus.